0: Well, it's football season, something that's kind of hard to ignore if you live where I do in Alabama. So let's talk about the success of University of Alabama football coach Nick Saban through the eyes of someone who can distill some leadership lessons and inspiration to help you win your own game and business. And even if you don't follow football, you'll be inspired. Stay tuned. Welcome to CEO on the go. Welcome to this special episode. If this is your first time listening to CEO on the go, a big welcome to you. I'm guessing this topic might attract some newcomers to the show, and that's a good thing. This podcast is designed for leaders who like to learn on the go. They want to grow themselves, their teams, and make a positive impact doing work that matters. I'm excited that this podcast is ranked in the top 5% of all podcasts globally. Episodes usually run anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes. Over the two years that I've been doing this podcast, I've covered a wide range of topics based on the consulting and coaching work I've done with my own clients who represent executives and organizations of all sizes across different industries. I'm constantly generating new ideas for each episode. But something important I learned recently at the podcast conference that I attended in Dallas is that the best ideas for episodes actually come from listeners. That's you. And that's the case with this episode. Special thanks to the listener in Dallas who recommended this leadership topic and connected me with my guest today, John Talty. John Talty is author of The Leadership Secrets of Nick Saban, How Alabama's Coach Became the Greatest Ever. John is the senior sports editor at SEC Insider for Alabama Media Group, the leading statewide news organization. He's also an award-winning journalist who's covered college sports for nearly two decades. John frequently appears on the Paul Feinbaum show on the SEC Network, which is the most influential college sports show in the U.S. He also appears on ESPN and Sirius XM national radio shows. John has built deep relationships with former players, coaches, and staffers who've shared the same orbit as Saban. And just in case you're wondering if Nick Saban has read or endorsed the book, I understand that he has not read it given so much that's already been written about him. And I think he's good at staying focused on his priorities. But I do think he would be pleased. And I think you will benefit by listening to the insights John shares, especially if you take action on some of the ideas that can help you lead your own team most successfully. Enjoy my conversation with John Talty. John Talty, welcome to CEO on the go.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you.
0: Yeah, this is a different kind of episode here at the beginning of football season as we're recording. So it's a great time to to talk about Nick Saban and leadership learnings and principles through your lens as a sports editor. So I can't wait to dive into our conversation. Um, Wanted to congratulate you on your new book, by the way, The Leadership Secrets of Nick Saban. Um, And I just scanned through the book and I I really liked the the chapter titles that I think resonate. And obviously, we won't have a lot of time to cover all of them. But I've, I've picked a few that I thought would be especially appropriate for my audience audience. And I have to say, I know that you're an award winning journalist. So you're probably really good at asking questions and I am not. So uh, we're just going to roll with the way that I ask questions, which is kind of off the top of my head and what I think is interesting. So no judgment here, right?
1: And that's my style too. So I think we're on the same page.
0: Okay, good. I'm a little intimidated here. All right. So I I wanted to start with you talk about Saban's journey to the football mountaintop. And I know that there's some of our listeners here who feel like they're on that trek. You know, they're climbing the mountain, and then they've slid back <laughs> and trying again. And there's some listeners who may feel like they're on the top of their mountain, kind of top of their game, um, and they're tr- they're trying to figure out how to stay there. So I'm sure we can cover a lot of lessons that will apply to both. But what struck me first, I wanted to jump to the the chapter that you call the process because that's a term that I've heard a lot, even in my own consulting work, especially here uh, with the clients that I work with in Alabama, um, especially with male leaders, when I start suggesting that they pay more attention to the process and focus on that, oftentimes they would say, yeah, well, that's what Nick Saban says. So tell me more about this process and what that
1: means. Yeah, that's kind of Nick Saban. I would say it's his maybe his most famous product. It's the thing that I think people know the most of, or maybe know the best about him. And at its core, it really what it is, is just focusing on the process to be successful over the results of you know the success that you've had. And so for instance, you know at Alabama, it might be, you know, we want to work every day to put ourselves in a position to be successful, but there's not the we want to be national champions. It's we want to you know, act and work in a way that could give us that chance to be that, but we're not focusing on just this one goal. And so, I think in a lot of different aspects of life, business, sales, whatever, there's a lot of goal-oriented things, right? It's well, if I can just sell X amount, then I'll be happy, or if I can just do this, then we're all going to be doing well. And I think one of the challenges with that is, you know, especially with Saban, I know has dealt this, and I'd say I've dealt this on a personal level is that if you're so goal oriented, I think once you reach those goals, I think one of two things happens either one, maybe you enjoy the fact that you achieved your goal a little too much. And then some of that complacency sets in, you know, and you you made too much around the, the goal or which is, this is what just happened to Nick Saban. I think it's happened to me. You reach that goal and you realize it didn't really change anything. You kind of realize, what do I do now? You know, like you get, you get to that mountaintop and you realize it didn't make me that much happier. It didn't really change that much about my life. And so, I think there's that fear sometimes if you build it all around, well, if I can just do this one thing, but once you get there, it might not have changed that much. And then there's that almost that disappointment of like, well, like what do I do now? And so I think if you would instead focus on if I can just get better every single day, or if I can work in a way that shows that I'm, you know, achieving, working toward achieving something, I think there's, more sustainable than focusing on just one thing you want to accomplish.
0: Yeah, and that makes sense. And a lot of that has to do with applying discipline, right? Discipline to do maybe what would seem like small steps, or the discipline to avoid things that get in your way or that you know that you shouldn't be um, focused on that could detract from the results that you're ultimately trying to get.
1: Yeah. And so Nick Saban talks a lot about, you know, basically there's two choices, either the pain of discipline or the pain of disappointment. And so he says, I'd always rather have the pain of discipline than the pain of disappointment. And so there's a lot of that. I mean, he talks about basically for him discipline. It's interesting as a parent, you know, you think about this too, where sometimes discipline, you think about it as a punishment, right? And for him, discipline is all about Basically making yourself do the things you don't want to do. And then having similarly the discipline to not do the things that you want to do. And so, you know, if it's, I really want to go out tonight, but I also have a lot of work to get done, like having that discipline to not go out and do what you need to do. And that's, you know, it's really challenging for a lot of people. But when you kind of build some momentum around that, I think you can accomplish a lot of great things.
0: Yeah, awesome. Um, In one of your chapters, you talk about building your team framework. And that's something that is obviously of interest to a lot of the clients that I work with. And I noticed in, in your book, you quote Sabin as saying, everything we do is about recruiting. And that's hard for a lot of leaders. You know, they have so many moving pieces. And so I was just curious to know what the key is to focusing on recruitment. How do you make that a top priority? What's the secret there?
1: Yeah. And I think so for every, you know, leader um, there's going to be different things that might be different priorities, but I think for, for Nick Saban and the world that he lives in, he realizes no matter how smart I might be, if I don't have the right people in my organization, like we're not going to accomplish the things that I want to accomplish in particular, that's a lot of, you know, coaches and players. Right. Uh, But it, I think it applies to any walk of life. So I think that, you know, I think it's, it's something that you have to I think you have to be intentional about it. And so one of the things that he does specifically for bringing in players into his organization, like he has a formula and it's based on his years of experience, but there's a specific formula that he uses where it's like, all right, for, you know, height, we want this for weight. We want this. And so no one is brought into the organization with a, uh, well, he seems pretty good. We'll find a way to fit him in somewhere. There's no like, no, this guy's being brought in to do this job. And this is how we see him doing this job. And so I think that's a mistake that a lot of people fall into. And I feel like in my career, sometimes the hires I've made, sometimes you think, ah, oh, this person's talented. We'll find a way to fit him somewhere. And then sometimes it just doesn't work versus, okay, this person is very good at this Two things, whatever, we're bringing in that person in to do exactly those two things. I think that person has a lot better chance of success rather than just we'll figure it out later. And so he's very intentional about the people he brings in. He's very intentional about the jobs that he hires them for. He's also very intentional about explaining to them in the front go of this is what we're bringing you in to do. And so he'll tell people, you know, we're hiring you, say, from Auburn, right? Like, we're hiring you to do, to use your skills to do things in the way that we do them. Like, I'm not hiring you to do the way you did it at that other organization. I'm hiring you to, clearly you have talent and you're going to do things our way. And so he's uh, upfront from the very get go about that. And so I think that uh, that limits the potential of issues down the line when you're straightforward from the very beginning of like, this is the way we do things. This is what we want you to do. You're either on board or you're not, but like, However you did it before, that's great. But like, that's not how we do things here. And you need to get on board of how we do things.
0: Yeah. And so it's not always looking for the person who has the highest rank, right? Like the top athletes. Right. Exactly. Which you might think.
1: Yeah, you can get caught up in that, you know, and I think you can get caught up in that. Again, I think it applies to anything. You know, there's I I write about in the book is that like sometimes... When we see greater demand around something, we automatically think it has more value, right? And so in college sports, it happens a lot where it's like, oh, these 10 schools really want this player. And that means he's better. But for them, I think he has the confidence in his formula and his abilities. like, just because they want that person doesn't mean that we want that person. That person might not be the right fit in our organization. It doesn't mean that person's not talented that they might not be good elsewhere, but they might not be the right fit for us. And so I think that's another thing. Again, sometimes we fall into the trap of like, this person's talented, let's find a way to make it work. And that doesn't mean that they are the right fit for you. And so I think that's something that he's good at kind of, you know, going his own way and not falling into the trap of like, well, like everybody else likes this guy, so we should try to get them too. I don't think he does that at all.
0: Yeah. And translating that into business, I see that there's so many different cultures that organizations have. So so much of that has to do with being a cultural fit too, not just the talent that you have. So to be really clear and intentional about how you're shaping that culture and bringing people in, so that they understand that it could be different compared to where where they've been in the past or what they're used to.
1: Yeah, I mean the person who might be a good fit for Facebook might not be a good fit for Google. You know, like and it's same with Silicon Valley. And you can think, oh well, it's everybody's kind of the same thing. But as I mean, everybody does have their own culture, and I think that's something that again, a it starts with you have to have a culture, right? You have to identify what your vision is before you can start finding the right people to fit it. But I think once you you realize that that like again, like where I might be a good fit is different than where you would be a good fit, and that doesn't mean either one of us isn't talented. It just you just have to find the right fit that you know, is the best kind of combination of organization and individual abilities.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Good. Well, I want to move on to another pain point that a lot of executives and leaders are experiencing, and that's losing staff. There's been a lot of high turnover, and it can be extremely stressful just when you think that you've got talent in place, um, especially with, uh, you know, going through the pandemic and people with a great resignation and also younger generations kind of moving around a lot more quickly uh, than some people are used to. And you have a chapter called Use Staff Turnover to Improve. So help help us understand where Nick Saban weighs in on that. Why is that important?
1: Well, so... Alabama experiences staff turn- turnover at an extreme level I would say even before the pandemic and part of that is because you know we see this again I think in all walks of life you know it's a copycat league right and so people see Alabama having a lot of success and so you know other rival organizations think all right I'm going to hire his top guy to compete right and that's happened to Nick Saban so much over the years and there's so many guys who have been on his staff who have gone on to be head coaches at other places that now directly compete and so I mean, it's, there are times where, you know, it's not just one, it could be four or five of his top employees get poached in one off season. And because of the way college football works, there's extreme pressure to replace them almost immediately. And so I think how he has handled that a few different ways. One, it's always, he I think is very good at having kind of talent on the bench and he's found different ways to, hire people who can fit in maybe more support roles or more behind the scenes roles that when some of these high profile people leave, they've been in his organization for a year or two, and he can kind of bump them up when the time comes. But that's important to, A, identify the people you think could do that down the line and B, developing them along the way. And he's been really smart about hiring people who have failed elsewhere but maybe aren't failures right and so he's been he's kind of changed college football and he's hired these guys who were failed head coaches elsewhere and so he gets them at a discounted rate i refer to them as distressed assets but he gets them at a discounted rate and he asks them basically just to do one thing and they can just focus on that and they get to be in his organization be around him and then when somebody leaves, he gets then turned to this person who a year or two earlier was running an organization and be like, Hey, let's bump you up into this role. The other thing that I think he's very good at doing is preparing people in his organization for the inevitable turnover. And so when he is recruiting people into his organization, he'll tell them basically like, we're going to have turnover. Like we're going to be successful. We're going to lose a lot of people. Like I'm going to be here and our process is going to be here. But like, You know, your direct boss basically could be gone in a year and you need to know that going in. And so I think that helps the transition period where you don't see mass exodus of players and other people when one person leaves because they know going in like, you know, in football, like offensive coordinators, like his number two, like I know he's probably going to be gone in a year or two. And so I know that going in. And so when it happens. I'm ready for it. And I trust that he's going to hire a quality person to replace that person. Yeah.
0: What I like about what you just said and wanted to emphasize is the importance of seeing it as inevitable, like just turnover happens and to not see it as a failure of a leader. You know, I think sometimes it's easy for a manager or a leader to, to think I've done something. This is a reflection on me. Um, Or I don't even want to be in this role anymore when I see people leaving, you know, so um, to see it as a positive, you know, that really, because I noticed in your book, you, you uh, stress the importance of seeing it as an opportunity for innovation, improvement, you know, to do things in an even better way. So to not view turnover as something that's necessarily negative, but could actually be um, an opportunity to strengthen.
1: Absolutely. And because I think it's also a beacon to other people when they see, wow, like people go to Alabama, and they are there a year or two, and then they're getting a big job right after. I mean, he uses that almost as a recruiting point to attract people of, you know, hey, if you come here and you give me two good years, like you're gonna be able to go wherever you want. And then it kind of keeps going from there. And so, like you said, I think sometimes we get upset when people leave, but I think for him, it's like, Hey, I'm going to use that to get probably somebody even better down the line. And like you said, it's an opportunity to evaluate where you are. And so if you have somebody for a decade, that's great. I think we all love continuity. But sometimes you can get caught into like, well, this is how we do things. First, if you're bringing in new blood from time to time, you can ask them to like take a look at our organization. What are we not doing right? Where, Where are we kind of missing? And he's done that really well over the course of his career, bringing these different people in outside of his comfort zone to push the organization to greater heights.
0: Mm -hmm. That's great. All right, let's focus on how outside factors can impact your goals and how effective he is at not allowing those outside factors to influence what he's doing or his team.
1: Yeah, it's funny. Somebody kind of compared him to me as almost like it's thoroughbred with like blinders on, you know, he is very good at being able to focus on what he needs to focus on in that moment and not worrying about these other things.
0: Do you know what the secret is to that? People want to know.
1: (laughs) I mean, I think some of it I think is honestly innate, you know, I think some of us have an ability to be more focused than others. But I think it's about again, I think a lot of what Any kind of some of the secrets here are just a lot of it's about being intentional and about how you manage your time and what you choose to do and not do. I think that's an important thing, but it's also about maintaining that mental focus. And so when he's in a meeting, he's not thinking about oh man, like what am I having for dinner tonight? Right, like he is locked in. I need to accomplish this in this time frame, and then I'll move on to the next thing. And he does that over and over again. And it's you know it's gonna be unique. Every person, the pressures that they face are you know different. But so think about it this way. It's it's wild to think about. I mean as a sports journalist, I'm just used to it. But after every big win or loss, Nick Saban has to face the media and answer questions about why it worked or did work. And he does that you know after 15 or so like imagine if a leader yeah, had a little pressure after, there
0: yeah a little yeah, pressure
1: you yeah you know not only did you just lose and that you're probably upset about it but you now have to immediately face questions questioning why you did what you did and so there's a lot of pressure from outside forces that he's handling and there's a lot of pressure he talks about it he calls it rat poison but there's a lot of one of the biggest things he has to fight back against and he was actually just talking about it the other day it's funny it's that at alabama and they're expected to be the top team every single year, right? And so people just expect them to win a national championship every single year. And that comes with an incredible amount of pressure. It's a lot of pressure on Nick Saban individually, but it's also a lot of pressure on the organization. Everyone within it because not only you don't win or you're a failure, but also you can start buying into that. If everybody's telling you you're the greatest and you're going to win, you can start thinking, yeah, we are the greatest. We are going to win. And that's when complacency sets in that's when those challenges set in and so there's a lot of external factors that he has to handle on a daily basis and that's a big challenge for any leader you know if you're a CEO of a company you're facing that every day it's shareholder pressure it's yeah
0: the market's going down and yeah or their industry you know supply chain issues there you know there are so many factors that influence a business and to be able to keep your head straight you know and have that emotional resilience in the midst of all that is so important. I was, that's why I was just curious to know if there's any secret or best practice, you know, that um, might be helpful.
1: Well, he doesn't get too high. He doesn't get too low. I think that helps. You know, I think if you're able to kind of maintain one of the things he says, which I love and I use in my life all the time was he says, I can handle good news and I can handle bad news, but I don't like surprises. And so I think he's pretty good at like I'm not going to bite your head off if you give me bad news, but like, tell me up front, don't tell me, you know, six months from now when it's too late. And so I think that allows them to handle some of that outside pressure of just being understanding of like, tell me the good, tell me the bad, we'll find a way to fix it. And let's not wait until it's too late. And I think that's been helpful for him as well.
0: Yeah, good. Um, I was curious to know more about his leadership style, you know, and in terms of how he delegates. Is it consensus driven? I guess a lot depends on the kinds of decisions that are being made. But uh, one of your uh, chapters talks about delegation is good, but too much kills the culture. So explain what that means.
1: I think it's probably one of the biggest challenges any leader faces. You know, like what do I need to do myself versus what do I delegate? And I think some of that is, you know, having to determine what are the key priorities for your organization? What is critical for you to be involved in and what can you trust someone else to do? And so we talked about recruiting earlier, like, Nick Saban has determined recruiting is the number one most critical thing in his operation. And so he is going to be pretty involved on a hands-on level in terms of finding the right people being involved in the interviews being involved in the recruitment process like he's determined all that is critical to the organization's success but he's not necessarily getting in the weeds on all those details he is trusting the people to bring him the information he needs to see without him having to scour the internet every day trying to find the right recruits right i mean he has different people that can do that for him and so it's a i think it's a very tough balance i think a lot of people especially in sports now like to refer to themselves as the CEO of the organization. A lot of it is very business-driven now. Um, but for some, that just means I'm going to be hands-off. right? I'm going to let the other people do the hard work and I can just be the figurehead of the organization. I don't think that's necessarily successful. I think you have to find a way to, again, not get too bogged down in the weeds, but also still being involved in those big picture things that are critical for the organization's vision and success moving forward. And so... I think he's, it's something he, I think has struggled with at times in his career. And I think that's something that he's had to figure out over time of like, what do I have to, you know, get involved with versus not. And I think one of the things that helps too, is that he is very, very intentional with his time. You know, he is, I mean, I would say down to the second and on many days, he is, has it planned out. I'm doing this at 7.01, I'm doing this at 7.08, you know, and so that I think helps him try to maximize his time as best as possible To do the things he has to do.
0: Yeah, something that you shared about, you know, being so focused and and delegating and knowing when to do that. Um, I think that varies so much depending on the size of the organization and where the leader is on their own growth journey you know this the listeners of this podcast and the clients that i serve represent very large global brands as well as small businesses and entrepreneurial type businesses and so it's interesting to see for example a small business owner trying to grow but the owners having trouble letting go of so much that they're used to doing and then becoming a little more hands off and trusting that they've got the right talent in place that allows them to step into a different level of leadership. You know, kind of playing a new game, a different kind of game at a different level. So,
1: no, absolutely. And I think it's, I think it's one of the hardest things that any of us deal with. In that you like, this is what got me here, right? And so, for Nick Saban, for instance, he is a in college football, he's like a defensive minded person. That's his specialty. And so, I see this in sports all the time. It's like, well, like. I'm known for this, whatever that thing is. and like that's the thing that's hardest for me to give up because this is like why people wanted me in the first place, right? And so I think as you kind of as you move up the totem pole and you get a bigger brand or you build your business, like that's maybe the hardest thing. Whatever that is for you. It could be I'm the marketing genius and this is how I became a CEO or you know I'm really good at organizational stuff. like I think that's always the hardest thing. And sometimes it's just like, well, maybe I can only do 50% of what I used to, but that still gives me something that makes me happy, you know, whatever it might be.
0: Yeah, yeah, and sometimes you have people that are stepping into their CEO role from other other areas, marketing, finance, operations. So it's it's kind of learning learning a new way of leading in a different identity. Um, so gosh, we're you're covering so much in such a short time, which is great because that's what the podcast is about. But um, since we're kind of nearing the end of our time, I was just curious to know if there are any surprising lessons or something that you've seen that uh, was a little unexpected, or maybe uh, you know. Standout insight, any of that to to kind of help wrap up some of what we're talking about today.
1: Yeah, I think one of the things that blows me away the most about Nick Saban is just his complete aversion to complacency, and I think that's one of the things that I think a lot about because it's one thing to be successful, and you think about you know I think compared it to a mountaintop earlier. Just think about how hard it is just to reach the mountaintop and all the work that goes into it. But I think what he believes, and I believe this too, is that once you get to the mountaintop, like it's even harder to stay there because all these other companies or people are trying to get up that same mountaintop and they're going to be pushing themselves even harder to try to knock you off of it. And so his ability to, I think, just turn the page on success... In some ways, you could say it might not be super healthy. I don't know. That's for other people to determine. But the way that he can think and move on to the next thing, I mean, he's thinking. There's plenty of stories in the book about it, where like after they win a national championship, like he's already thinking the next day the challenges that that national championship is going to cause and the areas that he is going to have to address immediately. And you just think about all the other people who would just still be celebrating, probably still be, you know, they might be living off it for a year. And the next day, he's calling meetings thinking about, okay, like because of what just happened last night, we're now going to have to deal with this problem in our culture. And we're going to have to figure out how to deal with it right away. Otherwise, it's going to set in and be a problem for us. And that's tough to do. I mean, that's really tough to do. But I think when you can start to get to that level where you're not just riding off your success and you're thinking immediately, all right, how do I get back there? What do I need to do? That's when you maintain. That's when you have the run that he's, of course, had in college football.
0: Yeah. I wonder if that's something that's innate or something that could be cultivated, that kind of drive.
1: I think it it can be both. I mean, but I think it's, I think there is some innate, for sure. I mean, I think it's how you're raised and how you're developed and all the different places he worked at, I think, cultivated those skills. But I do think that there is something that we can all deal with in that, you know, he has a thing called a 24 hour rule, which I love, and that it's essentially good or bad result, and you get 24 hours and you gotta move on. And of course, that's not meant to deal with like death and things like that, right? I mean, I think you're allowed a little bit more than that, but but like you get like for instance, like you get a call later today and it's you just you got something big, or you get bad news, like you didn't get that client that you thought you were getting. You give yourself a day and you can wallow in it for a day. And then if you're still wallowing a week later, you're hurting your chances to get that next client, right? And so that to me, I think is something that anybody could enact in their daily life of like, okay, had this great result. I'm going to give myself 24 hours to celebrate. I'm going to go out for a nice dinner. We're going to have a good time. And then it's like next day, like it's time to get back to work. And I think anybody can do that if they put their mind to it.
0: Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, I know that this is a leadership podcast, but I feel like I'm obligated to ask, what's the outlook for Alabama
1: this year? It's national championship or bust, <laughs> which, uh, Nick Saban would not be happy to hear me saying because he's dealing with that those expectations as it is. But I think this is one of the, the best teams that he has. And to kind of tie it all together here for you, one of the things that I write in the book that he talks about all the time, too, is that you cannot be the only leader in your organization. Like It is so critical to develop other people. And so I know that he really likes this team. And I know that he likes it because he continues to talk about the leadership he has at the player level. Some of his best players are also his best leaders this year. And that's not always the case. And so when you have your best players, your most talented people in your organization, when they're also carrying out your message for you so that you don't have to say it over and over again, like then some big things start happening. And I can tell that's how he feels about this team, which is bad news for the rest of college football.
0: Yeah, okay. Well, John, thank you so much for sharing your insights. Those are really great. Um, and I think the analogies are obvious or some of the translation into the business world is obvious. So I hope that people will pick up a copy of your book. Tell, tell us the best way to reach you or, or to, to get the book.
1: Yeah, I think anywhere you buy books, you can buy a book. Uh Amazon, uh Barnes Noble Books a Million. And uh, I'll plug a local Birmingham bookstore here. Uh Little Professor in Homewood is one of my favorite bookstores. Um I think it's Little Professor Bookshop, I think.com is what it is, but you can Google it. Um and that's where I'm also doing like if you want to sign a signed copy of the book and order through them and I'll sign the copy. So anywhere that you want to buy a book is great. Um, but if you want to support local, that's a good option too.
0: All right, good. Well, again, John, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Look forward to seeing how the book goes and and how uh, football shapes up this year. So we'll talk soon.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much.
0: Yeah, and for everyone else listening in, I hope you have a great rest of the week winning at your own game and doing the work that matters to you. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, be sure to share this episode with someone else who might benefit or leave a review. You can join my email list by going to workmatters.com so you don't miss an episode. And there you can learn more about ways we serve mission-driven leaders like you. If there's a challenge you want to discuss, I'd love to hear from you. In the meantime, keep growing as a leader, inspiring change, and doing the work that matters to you.